A guy by the name of Richard Hofler um, wrote a book uh, some years back called Will Daylight Come? And uh, in that book, he he tells a really uh, kind of a cool story uh, about uh, a little boy named Johnny and his sister Sally who went to be uh, with Grandma and Grandpa on the farm uh, for a month one summer. And uh, they got there, and of course, the guest kids, you know, they're really excited to be there. And Johnny was especially excited because uh, his grandfather gave him a slingshot, and he had never had a slingshot before. And how many of you say, I would never give my kid a slingshot? Yes, you know. But he gave Johnny a slingshot, and he showed him how to use it. And sure enough, Johnny, you know, goes out, and he's, you know, he's shooting at stuff, and he goes out in the woods, and he, he's, you know, the slingshots are just not easy to control, and, you know, he's firing at things and missing and missing and missing, and he comes back uh, in around the farmhouse, and he's walking back toward the house, and as he's walking back, he sees his grandmother's pet duck uh, just kind of walking out across the yard, and uh, he, all of a sudden, Johnny pretends like he's on a safari, and that's a, a wild game, you know, that he's got... And so he sees it, and it's a long ways away, and he, he knows that he can't hit it, but, you know, he wants to pretend like he's a great hunter. And, and so he, he pulls that slingshot back with a rock, and whack, he lets go, and sure enough, smacks that duck right in the neck, snaps its neck. This duck falls to the ground. That was one dead duck, you know, down, down, down the ground. Now, Johnny's mortified. He's, he's panicky. He has no idea what to do. And so he, he knows he's going to be in big trouble. So he, he runs and he gets the duck and he decides he's going to hide it. And so he goes over by where the wood pile is and he, he hides it back behind the wood pile and he thinks, okay, no one will ever discover it. Now, you know, hopefully nobody will know what happens. And he turns around and there is his sister, Sally. She saw the whole thing. Now that's like every young brother's, you know, nightmare come true. You know, sister Sally saw me do this. And he looks at her and he goes, you can't tell anyone about this. And she says, oh, I won't. Well, sure enough, they, they head into the house a little later. Comes dinner time. And after dinner, they're getting away, moving away from the table. And grandma says, Sally, I need, you to, I need you to help me with the dishes tonight. It's your turn. And Sally says, oh, grandma, Johnny said he was going to take care of the dishes for me. And Johnny looks at her like, well, you lost your mind, you know. And she leans toward him and says, remember the duck. And he's like, oh, yeah, I got this. No, no, no problem. I'll, I'll, I'll help with the dishes. And sure enough, they go, they go through the rest of the evening and they get up the next day. And, and after breakfast, uh, Grandpa comes in where the kids were and he says, hey, I'm going to go into town and uh, run some errands. And would you guys love to like to go with me? I'll, I'll take you to the drugstore and we'll get a Sunday together and all that kind of stuff. And uh, Grandma says, uh, you know what? I'm really going to need Sally's help preparing lunch. And, uh, and Sally said, oh, Grandma, Johnny said he would, he would help you today. And Johnny looks at her like, are you crazy? And she goes, remember the duck. And Johnny said, oh, yeah, yeah, I can do this. I can do this. Well, you get the picture. And so this went on day after day after day. Whenever there was something that Sally didn't want to do, she deferred to her brother Johnny to have him do it. And she would always say those words. Say it with me. Remember the duck. Johnny was trapped in this by the guilt that he had over what he had done. And you know what? That's our story for some of us. Um, some stuff in our lives that we haven't moved beyond. Some stuff that we haven't really released to God. Some stuff that maybe even we've kind of turned away from, hadn't wanted to admit that was there. 
And every once in a while, we, we feel that twinge of guilt. Maybe just, just when we're feeling a little bit good about ourselves, all of a sudden there's this little voice from somewhere in the past that says, remember the duck. Well, we're in this series called In It to Win It. And we're talking about the fact that we believe that God has created us to live lives as overcomers, to live a victorious life. In fact, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more, what? Abundantly, abundantly. And that's what we're talking about in this series. How do we really live that abundant life, that victorious life? Well, we've been talking about these things that we can overcome. And today, I wanna talk about the fact that some of the greatest news of the gospel is this, we can overcome the guilt that we have. And if that's been your story, if that's been your struggle along the way, then today this message is for you. If you want to take your sermon outline out of your worship folder, if you want to track along that way, you can. I want to look at a passage of Scripture. Psalm 32 is a psalm where David is basically pouring his heart out about the sin in his life. And his words can bring such great hope for us. In fact, Psalm 32, verse 2, is such a great verse of hope for us. Read it out loud with me. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Now, is that the description of your life? I just want you to reflect for a second. Is it, uh, do you feel like your heart is cleared of guilt today? Do you feel like you're living in complete honesty? And if not today, today is your day where you can overcome that. Now, as I was, as I was thinking about guilt, one of the things that hit me was there's a lot of false guilt. You know, guilt that we're going to talk about in a moment is the guilt that God's Spirit puts on our hearts for very specific reasons. But there is a false guilt that we sometimes feel, and I'm not going to move into the, you know, the kind of the therapist mode of, you know, kind of distinguishing for you today between what guilt and shame is, but it's that, that feeling of, but sometimes this guilt or shame that we feel, it, it, it's false. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, there's, there's, there's five different ways that I thought of it. There's probably more, but let me give you five. Sometimes we feel a guilt that is really simply a misunderstanding, it's simply a misunderstanding. Have any of you ever um, had a time where you thought you had messed something up and you felt really, really bad about it, and then later you found out you didn't really mess it up at all, it was fine? Or, or maybe you, was, you, just, you thought about something that you had said to someone and you were all of a sudden you're just mortified because you think you maybe really, really offended them and you felt horribly guilty about that and, and then you realized they weren't offended at all. Um, that, that's misinformation. That's just guilt that comes because we thought we understood something that we really didn't understand. A second kind of false guilt, though, is, is a guilt that, a false guilt that is, is it's imputed by Satan. It's imputed into our life by Satan. Um, you know, one of the great things about God is his ability not only to forgive, but to forget. Uh, the Bible says, you know, when God, when God forgives us, he puts it in his sea of forgetfulness to be remembered no more. Aren't you glad? But what the enemy does, the enemy, whenever you sin, you know what the enemy does? He takes your sin and he puts it in a file folder and he saves it for later. And that way, about the time God starts to work in your life and you're about to, to step up and, and, and maybe you're getting ready to volunteer in a new ministry or maybe you're getting ready to teach a class or, or, or maybe you're getting ready to take a step forward in your faith and all of a sudden as you start to do that, the enemy pulls this, this sheet out 
that has sin that God has already forgiven and forgotten, and he starts waving it in front of you going, remember the duck, <laughs> you know, remember the duck. And you go, oh, yeah, I remember when I did that. How could I even think about doing this? I, I feel like such a horrible person. And, and you, you are struggling with forgiving yourself when God has already forgiven you. And that's, that's sin, that's guilt that's imputed by Satan. Some of you relate to this. Another kind of false guilt is guilt that is imputed by others. How many of you have people in your life who have this uncanny ability to make you feel guilty? Anybody have people like that? Yeah. How many of you had a mother who had a PhD in making you feel bad? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Moms are really good. It's like moms go to school for this, you know. My mom was so good at, at making our, you know, us as kids feel guilty. I mean, that was, that was her way of getting us to do what she wanted. And along the way, she would, you know, she would say things and do things, and it would just twist the knife. And, and it was all, it really wasn't about a matter of right or wrong. It was about us wanting, wanting or not wanting to do what she wanted us to do or do it the way she wanted it done. And I can remember one conversation I had with my mom, and I was, I was an adult then, and I was having this conversation on the phone with my mom who wanted me to do something that I knew I couldn't do. I knew I needed to have good boundaries, and I knew I needed to say no. And man, she was really twisting the knife on it, you know? And, I, and finally, when I just said, no, I can't do this, I can still remember hearing my mom's voice say, well, if you were any kind of Christian, I was like, oh. You know, well, guilt, you know, is sometimes that guilt we feel really isn't from God. Sometimes it's from the people around us, and they know where our goat is tied, and they know how to get it, and they know how to make us feel bad. Another kind of false guilt, some of you will relate to this too, is guilt that comes from damaged emotions. Guilt that comes from damaged emotions. Some of us grew up in environments where we were always blamed, or, or there was just a lot of shame. And uh, if you grow up in that kind of environment, it's real easy for you in any given situation to immediately think that something is your fault. You know, several years ago, uh, we had a whole bunch of people over to our house and family members and people, and, and uh, the dishes were piling up in the kitchen, and, and uh, somebody walked in, the, walked in the kitchen, and they saw these dishes, and they just simply made the comment, wow, that's a lot of dirty dishes. Now, this is our house, it's our dishes, but somebody else who was standing there immediately began apologizing, I am so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'll, I'll get out of there. And, and, and we're like, what, why are you sorry? It's not your house, it's not your dishes. But it was this idea that, you know, sometimes people who have felt a lot of shame in their life, whenever there's guilt to be taken on, they just take it on themselves. And, and I know for some of you, that, that's your story. You have this extremely hypersensitive conscience that takes on guilt that really isn't yours. Well, there's a fifth kind, and I could relate to this. Maybe some of you could. And that's guilt that is from a false image of God. Guilt that's from a false image of God. You know, I grew up in a, in a very um, conservative church back east and in a family that was very, very conservative. In fact, it was so conservative, it was almost like if it was fun, it was sin. Anybody grew up in those kinds of environments? Yeah, and it's this image that, you know, this, it's this image of God that you develop up, you know, you develop along the way that, you know, if you're having any kind of fun, God's against it. 
You know, when I was growing up, if you played cards, you were, you know, you were going to hell. If you went to movies, you were going to hell. If you went to dances, you were going to hell. If you, you know, took a drink of alcohol, you were going to hell. If you dated a girl who wasn't a Christian, you were going to hell. I mean, whatever it was, if it was fun, you were going to hell. That was just, that was just the way it was. And you develop this image of God, like, you know, if, if, if that, it's just like everything is bad and sad and, and, and God is out to get us. You know, it's kind of, you know, that's the way it is. Uh, <laughs> remind me of a story of a little boy who was, uh, went, went out to spend a week with his grandparents and uh, kind of the same thing. His grandparents were just really, really conservative. And, and so the, the boy had to met a few friends in the area and, and uh, he told his grandmother, he said, can I go to the movies? She goes, no, going to movies is a sin. You can't do that. And, and they said, well, they, they want to go play baseball. Can I go play baseball? He said, no, sports is sin. You can't, you can't do that. And it was everything, everything fun he wanted to do was just sit. And the kids, you know, it's getting depressed. And he you know, he walks out, and they lived on a little farm. He walks out in the barnyard and standing there by the fence, and the old mule came walking over, and this old mule stuck its head through the fence for him to scratch his head, and he looks in the sad eyes of this mule and scratches his head, and he saw that sad look in the mule's face, and he said, oh, you must be a Christian too. <laughs> you know. And, and sometimes that's, that's the way it is. That's the way it feels. But again, I want to go back to the fact that God doesn't want us to live that way. God wants us to live above this guilt that is falsely put upon us. And even the guilt reveal, he wants us to turn that over to him. Now, how do we do that? Well, let me give, let me give you just a couple of thoughts. If you're struggling with guilt in any way, let me give you a couple of thoughts that might help you today. Here's the first one. When you feel that guilt, Step into the guilt, not away from it. Step into the guilt, not away from it. I want you to hear this loud and clear. God, guilt is God's way of drawing us back. Guilt is God's way. When the guilt comes from God, it's guilt that reminds us that we're straying away, that there's something in our life that's out of sync, that we're moving away from being the people he created us to be. But it's his way of drawing us back, not trying to repel us away. Now, this is so important because so often when we feel guilt, our natural tendency is to run away. You remember what happened in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned? And, uh, you know, they ate, they, you know, they ate the fruit. God comes in the garden. What did Adam and Eve do? They hid. They ran and hid. And that's exactly what we do. We, we, when we start feeling guilty, often instead of stepping into it and saying, God, what's this about? What do I need to do to make this right? We, we turn away and we run away from God and we try, to, we try to cover it up. And often we take guilt that's no big deal and we just simply make it worse by trying to cover it up. Um, great, great example, great story. Throw that picture up on the screen. That's Craig Moore. Uh, Craig's a 27-year-old. Um, a few years ago, he, he lives in Manchester, England. And a few years ago, he was driving his, uh, his company vehicle. And, uh, and this happened. Throw that next picture up on the screen. He was driving along, and as he went through, there was a, one of those speeding lights, you know, the tr- speeding cameras. And as he drove through, the camera flashed. And all of a sudden, he realized, I'm caught. I'm speeding in my company vehicle. He already had the maximum amount of points on his driver's license. And he thinks, I'm in big trouble. Uh, I'm, in, I'm in real trouble here because I'm, this is going to push me over the limit. I'm going to lose my driver's license. If I lose my driver's license, I lose my job because I can't, I can't drive. Uh, and, and so he just, he absolutely freaked out. Well, he worked, I think, for a railroad. 
And uh, he, he decided had, he had at home, I think it's called thermite, which is like, kind of like a gunpowder kind of thing, a little explosive kind of stuff. He, he drove home 30 minutes, got some of this thermite together, comes back, throw that next picture up, blows up the camera. He's thinking, I'm going to destroy the evidence. You know, I, I, that, that way they won't know it. So he comes back, literally takes his thermite, laces this camera with it, sets it off, blows this camera up, thinking, you know, now I'll never be caught. Well, what he didn't realize, throw that next picture up on the screen. This is the camera after, after it was done. Um, what he didn't realize was that all of that footage from the camera was kept actually down in the base. And so he blew up the camera piece, but he didn't blow up the recording of what he had done. So now they had him not only speeding on camera, they had him, they had him blowing up, blowing up this, this, this camera. He ended, up, he ended up getting a $22,000 fine and getting four months in jail for, for what he'd done. Now here was the real kicker. That, that speeding camera actually wasn't a speeding camera. It was actually simply a camera they'd put up to flash when you were speeding to warn you to slow down. It wasn't recording him. He wouldn't have gotten a ticket. He wouldn't have gotten his license. All, all he would have had to do was simply go on about his way. But he took a bad situation and made it worse. And that's what we do so often with guilt. Um, I love, again, in Psalm 32, as David was talking about the power of confession and what that does for us. Psalm 32, verse 5. Look at it. Read it out loud with me. He says, finally, I confess all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Read that last sentence again. All my guilt is gone. And this is the great news. When we bear our hearts to God and admit this guilt that is there, God is willing to take us in, forgive us of what we've done, and set our feet on a new path. You see, we let guilt drive us away from God, and God is trying to use this guilt to say, come to me. In fact, I love this picture. It's so beautiful. In Luke chapter 15, verse 20, it's the story of the prodigal son who had gone out. He had blown his inheritance. He had made a mess of his life. Finally, when he had nothing left, he decides, you know what? I'm going to go back and just see if dad will let me work on the ranch as one of his hired hands. And so here it says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. How did his father react? Read it with me. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Embraced him and kissed him. And that's what Jesus was describing, is how God is with us. Look at me. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how long you've done it. It doesn't matter how bad you think it is. You got to hear this. God's grace is greater than all of our sin. And the enemy wants to use it to, to keep you away from God. God is saying, come home to me. The kid blew his inheritance. He blew everything he had. He had trashed his life. And yet the moment he starts back toward his father, his father came running toward him. And that's what you will discover with God. That's why I put the statement in your outline. God always uses guilt to restore us, not reject us. Now this kind of connects me to the second thought, and that is deal with guilt when it's small. Deal with guilt when it's small. 
You know, sometimes when we feel that guilt, again, rather than taking care of it quickly, we just let it sit there. And the longer we sit there, it's like an infection that just begins to spread throughout our body. In fact, I love how Paul described it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 6 as he, he talked about what sin and guilt does to us. I love this. This is Eugene Peterson's translation from the message. And Paul was talking about how we make room for the stuff in our life. He says, your flip and callous arrogance in these things bothers me. You pass it off as a small thing, but it's anything but that. Yeast, too, is a small thing, but it works its way through the whole batch of bread, uh, bread dough pretty fast. So get rid of this yeast. Now, when we, when we let guilt sit, what happens? Well, I give, I give you a couple, couple of thoughts. The longer you wait to deal with guilt, here's a few things that happens. One, it's the more distracting that it can become. The more distracting it can become. Come on, just us for a second. How many, how many of you have ever said something to someone, later thought about it, and said, that really wasn't a nice thing to say, or done something that you know wasn't right, and you got, oh, I really shouldn't have done that. And how many of you have ever had that and just found that it doesn't go away, but God has a way of just kind of keeping after with you? Anybody ever have that experience? And, yeah, and, and it's like, you know, the longer you let it sit there, the, the more that it just distracts you from, from moving on with, with your life. Uh, when I was pastoring in Phoenix, one day, my administrator, Jan Berghouse, came in and showed me a, a note that uh, we had received in the mail that was addressed to her. It said, Dear Jan Berghouse and whoever, I have a confession to make. When Pastor Scramstead, who was our worship pastor from years and years before, when he was here, I took one of the little blue chorus books home, and I misplaced it, um, so I ended up bringing another one home. Um, I wanted to learn some of the choruses and then return them, but as time went on, I just neglected to take them back. Um, recently, it dawned on me again that I am guilty of stealing. Um, I'm enclosing $5 for the books. I, I know that you would have no use for them now. Again, please accept my apology. And also, sorry, I, I wanted, sorry this is so long, but I wanted to apologize and make it right. A former member of North Hills Church. And I thought about that, and I thought, I wonder how many people let little things like that just go on and on and on and on and on. And again, this had been probably at least 20 years by the time we got this note. How long do we let things sit, and how much that just neglects it, you know, <coughs> causes us to be distracted from our day-to-day -day life? Secondly, when, when the longer that we, we deal with guilt, the more the enemy can use it against you. And I talked about this earlier. That when we sin, you know, the enemy keeps his file folder. And when we've got guilt or we've got something there that we haven't confessed, we haven't dealt with, here's what begins to happen. All of a sudden, we feel this, we feel this nudge from God to, to step up, to step out. And, and the moment that we begin to feel that, all of a sudden, that guilt is standing there. And the enemy goes, how in the world can you think about doing this? How in the world can you think about sharing your faith? You've got this going on in your life. And how in the world can you think about teaching a class? You've got this going on in your life. How in the world can you, can you think that you're a good person when you've got this? Going on? And the enemy just takes that, and he'll just beat you up with it again and again and again. Confession is our way of unloading the enemy's gun. You can disarm him when you take care of the guilt. And thirdly, and this is a little concerning, and that is the longer that guilt remains, the more dull your conscience can become. Come on, you'll relate to this. 
How many of you have ever had something happen in your house? Uh, you crack a mirror in the bathroom, or you get a chip out of your tile in the floor, or you get a, a mark on your wall. You, you can kind of fill it in with your own stuff. But the first time you notice it, you go, oh, that is horrible. I need to take care of that. But you don't. And you get busy and you go on. Next time you see it, you go, hey, that really doesn't look good. And by the third or fourth time you see it, you know, you think, well, you know what? I'll get around to that one day. And pretty soon you're walking right past it. Does this make sense to you? It's the same thing with guilt. You see, when, when God's spirit speaks to our heart, you've got to do one of two things. You've either got to respond or you have to turn your head away from it. And every time you turn your head away from it, your heart becomes a little bit more hardened toward God. You know, I wrote a devotional um, a week or two ago when I was t- describing that, you know, the same sun that will melt wax will harden clay. And, and wax is a heart that's yielded and open to God to re- receive what he's saying and, and turn toward him. And, and God can melt our heart and we can become right with him again. But if you harden yourself against God, if you, if you refuse to deal with it, if you push it aside, the longer you do that, the, the more callous that your conscience can become. And it's just a dangerous place to be. Does that make sense? Let me give you one more. Have greater faith in God's grace than you do in your sin. Let me say that again. Have greater faith in God's grace than you do in your sin. Every once in a while, I'll be talking to someone who is feeling guilt and is wanting to turn their life over to God and and along the way, they will say something like, when I start talking about God's grace, they'll, they'll say something along the lines of, but Pastor Steve, you have no idea what I've done. Look at me. And my response is, no, you have no idea what God has done. When Jesus Christ hung on the cross, some of his last words were, it is finished. And that little phrase, it is finished, is just a common Greek vernacular that literally means paid in full. You see, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how long you've done it. God's grace is greater than all of our sin. God's grace is greater than all of our sin. Say that with me. God's grace is greater than all of our sin. And what I'm telling you today is so often it, it, when, when the enemy's heaping that guilt upon us, what's easy for us is we have more faith in our guilt than we do in our God. And God can handle your, your, your sin. It doesn't matter what it is. I, I love this passage from 1 John 1, 8 and 9. He says, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves. And we're not living in the truth. Read it with me. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness or wickedness. If you're taking notes, circle those those words, faithful and just. God is faithful and just. Those those are important words. Because what, what he means is God is faithful. God will not turn his back on you. 
Um, when, when we sin, guess what? God is still right there. In fact, he's usually hounding us, trying to call us back, back home. And the moment you turn around, God is right there. He is faithful. I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll never abandon you. God is always right there waiting for us to just turn around. But God is also just. In other words, he doesn't wink at our sin. And he doesn't go, oh, that's okay. It's not a big deal. He's just. Now, what does that mean? That means that sin has to be atoned for, which is why so many of us get caught in this trap. What do I have to do to get rid of my sin? What do I have to do to pay for this? Look at me. You don't have to do anything. It's already been paid for. That was the whole reason Christ came, that if we would simply come before him, confess our hearts to him, receive his spirit into our lives, if we would just open our lives to the grace, guess what? He washes all of that stuff away. I love how he says it in Isaiah. He says, though your sins be like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Paul wrote it this way in Romans 3. He says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. How does he do that? Read it with me, church. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. That's why I put the statement on your outline. You know, our sin may be deep, but God's grace is bottomless. Amen. And today, I don't know where you are on your journey of faith. There may be some of us here that, you know what, we've never, we've never committed our lives to Christ. We've never accepted his grace for that first time and asked him to forgive us and to step into this new relationship. And today, if, if you've not done that, today's your day. It doesn't have to be fancy and formal. All it has to be is a simple, humble prayer from the heart that says, God, I need you to take control of my life. I need your forgiveness for my past. Would you let your spirit fill me and help me to be the man or the woman that you've called me to be? Aren't you tired of wearing the chains of guilt? You remember Johnny and Sally that I talked about at the beginning? Well, day after day, the first couple of weeks it went on. and Whenever there was anything Sally didn't want to do and she volunteered Johnny to do it over and over again. She would say what? Remember the duck. Finally, after a couple of weeks, Johnny was just, he was just done. He was so tired of just being enslaved by his sister. And he went in, his grandmother was in the kitchen and Johnny went into where his grandmother was and he walked up and he said, Grandma, I, I, I have a confession to make. He said, you know, on that, that very first day we were here and you guys gave me that slingshot. He said, I was out shooting in the woods. And so when I came back, he goes, I was having fun. And he said, but I saw your, I saw your pet duck. And he said, I, I didn't mean to hit it, but I, I'm pretending like I was on a safari and it was a big lion. And he goes, it was a long way away. And, and grandma, I shot that rock. And you know what? It hit your duck and killed it. And, and I hit it in a wood pile. I'm so sorry. Grandmother smiled put her hand on his head and said, Johnny, 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 I was standing by the window when you shot my duck. 
I saw you hit it. I saw you hide it. And I've just been waiting, wondering how long you were going to let your little sister torture you with this thing. Johnny, I love you. I forgive you. And with that, she wrapped her arms around him, hugged him close. That could be your story today. If we confess our sin, God is what? Faithful and just. And he will wrap his arms of grace around us. This morning, we're, we're going to close by receiving communion together. And I'm going to invite you to go ahead and take your little packet out and peel that top cellophane piece back where you can pull that little wafer out. And pull the lid back on your juice so you've got that ready. And and this morning, for the next few moments, as Chuck leads us in this beautiful song that says, come to the altar, God's willing to forgive us of whatever we've done. As Chuck leads us in this song, I want this to be your personal moment with God. And privately, right there, in, in wherever you are, you can open your heart to Him. Whatever it is, whatever that place of guilt is, don't run from it, don't hide from it. Turn into God with it and let His grace wash over you. After Chuck's led us in this song, I'll, I'll pray a prayer for us at the end and we'll receive the communion elements together. Father, I, I thank you for guilt today. It's, it's like the nerve endings that we have in our, our hands and feet where if we touch something hot, it, those nerve endings tell us not to do that anymore. It hurts. And we pull our hand away. And, and Lord, that's what guilt is about. Guilt is th- that's true guilt from your Holy Spirit is is that which reminds us that we're, we're taking a step off of a path that we want to be on and that we're doing something that is going to hurt us or hurt our soul or our walk with you. It's not meant to drive us away. It's meant to draw us back. And today, Father, we, we confess your word is so true. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And every single one of us have to deal with sin and guilt in our life. And Lord, how thankful we are. Because today we hold in our hands the price that was paid for that guilt, the price that was paid for that sin. This little wafer that represents your body that was nailed to a cross. This little cup of juice that represents your blood that was spilled on our behalf. Lord, you paid a debt that you didn't owe simply because we owed a debt that we couldn't pay. And so today, we are the beneficiaries, Lord, of your grace. Father, you know every person watching online. You know every person in this room. You you hear the prayer of their heart as they're reaching out to you. Right now, Lord, with your arms of grace, would you wrap around them? And would you let them know that as they sincerely confess their hearts before you, you are faithful and just, and your grace will wash away every part of that sin, though it be like scarlet. It can be white as snow. Lord, I pray for those that maybe for the very first time in their life are praying that prayer. They're opening their heart to you. And Lord, as your grace enfolds them, just like the Father embraced the Son, Lord, would you put your robe of of, of righteousness around them? Would you put that ring of sonship or daughtership upon their finger? Would you let them know, Lord, that they are yours? Lord, your, your word says that you have lavished your love upon us in such a way that we should be called the children 
of God. And Lord, for some people, maybe today is the first day where they say goodbye to the old life and hello to the new. Father, today here at this altar, where it's in the, whether it's in our living room or whether it's in our pew, whether it's right here at this altar in front of us, we lay all of our guilt before you, claiming your freedom through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, we thank you for giving us the victory over guilt. In your precious name we pray. And everyone said, amen.